Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A majority of Americans continue to support capital punishment, according to the latest Gallup poll on the subject, but support continues to decline. For example, in 1994, 80% supported the death penalty. Attitudes may be changing in Utah as well. A poll released by the Utah Justice Coalition last year showed that 64% of Utahns favored alternatives to the death penalty for people convicted of murder. Support continues to decline among Republicans. There's a relatively new development, the organization in 2013 of conservatives concerned about the death penalty. Tonight, Utah conservatives concerned about the death penalty will join Young Americans for Liberty chapter in Weber State University as well as Catholic Association for Social Action for a panel discussion about capital punishment in Utah. The event is titled Utah's Death Penalty, a Broken System Beyond Repair. It's uh, 7 to 8.30 p.m. in the Wildcat Theater, room 208 in the Shepherd Student Union Building on the campus of Weber State University in Ogden. And several members of that panel join us today from the studios of KCPW in Salt Lake City. We have with us uh, Kevin Green, State Director of Utah Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. Kevin Green, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, Darcy Van Orden, Executive Director of Utah Justice Coalition, joins us. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, Marina Lowe, Legislative and Policy Counsel for ACLU of Utah, joins us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Jen C. Anderson, Legal Director of the Rocky Mountain Innocence Project and University of Utah Law Professor, is with us. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Let me start with you, Kevin Green. Uh, This is, I I mean, there probably have been, um, maybe always, conservatives against the death penalty. Uh, now an organization has been in, in effect for a few years, and there's a Utah chapter. Um, what, tell us about this, the Utah chapter of conservatives concerned about death penalty and, and your concerns. Yeah, so uh, we started um, early 2016, um, played a, a part in almost repealing the death penalty at the legislative session back then. Um, as conservatives, and a, I mean, as a conservative myself, my biggest issue with government is that I think it should be as small as possible because... You know, I think there needs to be a healthy distrust, um, and we apply that to a lot of things. We, you know, we apply that to to welfare programs. We apply that to the IRS, but for some reason, we don't always want to apply that to the criminal justice system. And for me personally, I think that's where it should apply the most. Uh, when we give the government the power to to take someone's life, I don't think there's room for error. And uh, as history has shown, there have been many errors. And so, you know, when when we can't trust the government to do a lot of things executing someone I think should be at the top of our priorities for uh, not allowing. What do you think, uh, just follow up here, what do you think has shifted with with some conservatives? And, and has there been a, a misperception that conservatives in lockstep have been in support of the death penalty? Um, I think as, as time goes on, you know, the death penalty isn't often something that people think about a lot. Uh, when you start talking to them about the realities of it, though, people are very open to, to changing their minds and their perceptions about, you know, what it really is. And that's what we've been doing for the last year and a half is talking to people about the realities of the death penalty, about the failures, about the extreme costs, about how, you know, you can't trust the government to to do a lot of things. Why are we trusting them to end someone's life who may very well be innocent? And when you start having those discussions, conservatives are very open and they have been open over the last year and a half in Utah to, to kind of changing their beliefs on that. Let me turn next to Darcy Van Orden, Executive Director of Utah Justice Coalition. Uh, tell me, first of all, what Utah Justice Coalition is and uh, what's uh, what's the interest of the organization in the death penalty? 
Yeah, so our organization is actually the only conservative organization in Utah focused solely on criminal justice reform. Uh, we focus on common sense reforms. I think we we want to figure out what does the data actually show, and a lot of people traditionally within the conservative viewpoint have always been, hey, let's be tough on crime. I think we've all come to the realization after decades of research, realized that being smart on crime is the best approach, and especially since conservatives tout themselves as being fiscally responsible, I think we've come to the realization that these big programs incarcerating everybody has not worked. And as a result, we're looking at ways in which we can solve these social problems through smart, more common sense reforms. And so as we look at the criminal justice um, program here in Utah specific to the, the death penalty, we've come to the realization that it's way too expensive. The system's broken, and let's stop the insanity when the, when we can spend you know in upwards of almost thirty million dollars over the last fifteen years only to convict one person of the death penalty. I think about how those funds could be better spent, and I could come up with a lot of things, everything from you know processing rape kits to indigent defense, and um, right now they're trying to crack down on, um, you know, and kind of look at this homeless problem and realizing there's a lot of people with mental health problems and, and areas, um, other issues, and they're spending all this money. And it's like, well, incarcerating people is not solving this problem. So let's look to rehabilitation. Let's look to a lot of ways in which we can actually go to the root cause as opposed to just throwing money at problems and not solving it. Let me follow up with you on deterrence. Uh, this is something that you know, people tough on crime. They say uh, one of the elements of the death penalty is it's, uh, it, it, they, they argue it's a good deterrent. And at least for that person who's executed, they're not going to qu- commit any more t- crimes. Well, I'll have to counter with if you talk to criminologists, they pretty much agree that it's not a deterrent. And then when you look to the alternative to the death penalty, the best alternative is life without parole. So if we push for life without parole, this person is not going to hurt anybody. Uh, people are more likely, even on death row, to die in prison before being executed. The average person in Utah sits on death row for 23 years. So I would make the case that, number one, it's not a deterrent, and number two, it's not keeping anybody any safer. So why not u- better use those funds? Because what people don't realize is if a case is merely eligible for the death penalty, we occur, incur all of these expenses to the tune of over $1.6 million uh, through this, the entire system, um, the process, the two-part process uh, for a death row case. So um, let's stop the insanity. It's not keeping us any safer and um, focus on reforms that actually will keep Utah safe. And if I could interject, this is Marina Lowe. On the question of deterrence, I would absolutely agree with Darcy that none of the research has indicated um, across the country that this serves any sort of a deterrent effect. And furthermore, if we did um, assume that the death penalty does provide a deterrent effect, then you would expect that states that no longer have the death penalty on the books anymore, in states where it's no longer available, would have a higher rate of violent crime and of murders and, and um, the sorts of crimes which are eligible for for the death penalty. And in fact, the opposite is, is, is the case. In, in states where they have gotten rid of the death penalty and it's no longer available, you actually don't see a higher rate of violent crime. Hmm. Uh, Marina Lowe, uh, you heard her voice right there, Legislative and Policy Counsel for the ACLU of uh, Utah. Um, I, I want to talk about uh, some of the other arguments for the death penalty, your response to that. One, one is a sort of a visceral uh, justice response. 
Um, sure. You know, this eye for an eye kind of a thing. This uh, this person committed a heinous, heinous crime, and for the most heinous of crimes, there should be the highest of penalties. People I, argue. I, yeah. So I guess I can understand on a visceral level that people might have that initial reaction, especially when it's a really awful um, type of crime. Now, I guess what I would say is, on a broad level, our criminal justice system is made up of human beings. There are human beings that created our system and that staff it at every level. And we know that human beings, you know, create errors. They're, they are not infallible. And so um, it's really difficult to have sort of the ultimate punishment, something that cannot be undone, taking somebody's life. Um, when you have a system that is made up of human beings who make errors all the time, and we know this to be true. We know that there are situations where people have been put to death who were, in fact, innocent. We know there are people sitting on death row today who are innocent. And we know this because there are problems with our criminal justice system. And this is not to you know, cast blame on any individual person. The system is um, slanted from the get-go. We know that there are problems when it comes to law enforcement in terms of who they set their sights on. Um, there are biases that exist for all human beings. Um, we know that prosecutors have a lot of pressures. They are elected officials. Sometimes there are a lot of pressures to go after an individual because there's been a really high-profile crime and you need to find somebody. And sometimes it's very difficult to, um, when you've got somebody in your sights, to even consider some other possibilities. We had an individual by the name of Ray Crone who came and visited members of the Utah legislature um, a couple of years ago to talk about his story. He sat on death row for 10 10 years in Arizona for a crime that he did not commit. Um, you know, it, it's fascinating to hear his story and to understand all of the mishaps that happened along the way from law enforcement to prosecutors to a judge to jury. Um, lots of different problems along the way. And, and he was a man who had committed no crime at all. So while we might feel that there is sort of this visceral need to have an immediate punishment um, that would sort of match the crime that was committed, the reality is that we have a broken criminal justice system that can't deliver that sort of certainty and can't deliver that sort of certainty in a timely fashion. And so because we can't do that, um, for me personally, I feel very uncomfortable having this type of punishment even on the books. Let's turn next to Jensi Anderson, legal director of the Rocky Mountain Innocence Project and University of Utah law professor. I want to talk about this. I was reading this morning's statistic. You read these. It's pretty troubling. Uh, the one I was reading this morning, 140 or something uh, people have been you know, exonerated uh, who had been on death row. Um, and so we extrapolate from that that we probably have executed innocent people, or do we know specifically people who've executed who were innocent? Well, we know as you said, that we have put innocent people on death row. Um, the most recent death row exoneration was the December 21st of 2017. It was the 161st person released from death row. Um, he was a gentleman who was released uh, after it was shown that the police officer who interrogated him had uh, gotten a false confession from him. It was a police officer who had a history of getting false confessions and actually had 10 exonerations happen because of interrogations that he had done. Um, so we know without a doubt that innocent people are convicted and sent to death row. We also um, certainly have case studies that would suggest that innocent people have been executed, the most famous of which is probably the Cameron Todd Willingham case out of Texas, a gentleman who was convicted of setting fire to his home, um, a fire that killed his three young children. Uh, he denied that arson and to, to the time that he was executed, and subsequent to his execution, five expert witnesses looked at that 
that and determined that it was not an arson fire, but indeed an accidental fire, and so that that Mr. Willingham was indeed innocent. There are a number of stories from around the country like that, and um, pro-death penalty advocates might very well say, well, you don't have absolute proof that an innocent person has been executed, and that may be the case. However, the the risk is far too great. For every execution there have been that has occurred in the last 20 years, there's been nine exonerations, um, which is an incredible number. Um, and it's something that we really need to think about. Uh, and the the, the other thing that we really need to think about is that, as Marina said, that this is a system made of humans. It's a system that makes mistakes. Um, as a member of the National Innocence Network and a person who looks at innocence cases, we see um, really troubling fissures and trends in our criminal justice system with regards to mistakes that are being made um, across the board. And we've seen over 2,100 exonerations in this country over the last 20 years that involve those. And until we have the perfect system, we simply can't have this perfect punishment. Hmm. Let me, we'll go to break soon. I want to turn back to Darcy Van Orden here. This, I, I cited this uh, poll. I, was this commissioned by Utah Justice Coalition from last year? Yes, it was. Uh, and so 64% of Utahns, when they, when they uh, had the opportunity to choose which penalty for people who committed murder, 64% chose something other than uh, the death penalty. I'm not sure if that's moved uh, toward that or away from that over the years, but uh, in Utah... Uh, Utah's attitudes toward the death penalty, it seems like, just anecdotally, what I'm noticing, that, that there is a kind of a shift away from the death penalty. Absolutely. Um, so we haven't run that exact same poll uh, lately, uh, but like I said, every, all this, everything suggests is when people were given the option of life without parole, when they realized uh, the information, it's been like everything else. When people actually get educated on this issue, they all, they seem to come around. I've had conversations with people where we talk through some of this data, and then they're like, no, you're right, I agree with you. And they're like, I've never thought about that before. Um, and so I've, I've seen people change their mind as they become educated on this issue rather quickly, which which um, I would just argue that it's one of those things as people become educated, they change their minds. And I think that's why, um, given more information, um, I'm pretty confident that Utahns would agree. Uh, let me ask uh, Kevin Green um, the same question among, say, Republicans and conservatives. I, I think I'm seeing a shift, or at least Republicans, conservatives are coming out. Uh, when this was debated in 2016, uh, Senator Urquhart came in, out in favor of this uh, ability to repeal it. Uh, Senator Weiler, uh, who, who said while he didn't favor the legislation, he personally is opposed to the death penalty. I'm hearing from some conservatives that uh, that I hadn't heard from before, I think. Yeah, um, because in the past, it, it honestly hasn't been a, a political topic that I think gets a lot of debate. Um, just to reference that poll, you know, as Darcy said, when people are asked, do you support the death penalty or do you not? As, the, as just the blanket question, you get a lot more, you know, a, a majority of people who probably are going to say, I support the death penalty. But when you tell them, you know, it costs millions of dollars more to pursue the death penalty, somebody may be on, on death row for 30 years before a resolution is reached. And, you know, now there's 161 people, very likely many more, who have been exonerated from death row, uh, many likely more who are still on death row. Um, they start to think about it and they, you know, they, they realize 
well, I, you know, I supported the death penalty because I thought it was quicker and cheaper and, and the process was over faster and it's just not the reality. So when, I mean, like many, with many policy debates, when you actually get into the nitty gritty and talk about the details, people, you know, open up and they, they want to hear more and they are very open to changing their mind. And that's what we're seeing uh, in Utah. 2016 got very close. It passed out of the Senate, passed out of the House committee, and it just fell short of receiving a vote on the House floor on the last day of the session there. Um, but to see a place like Utah, with overwhelming majorities of Republicans in both chambers and the, the state legislature, get that close to repeal, I think it, it kind of proves that, that conservatives and Republicans are coming around on this issue because they're starting to learn the realities. Do you think uh, this will be brought up in 2018, the, the, the session coming up, and uh, what do you think the prospects? Um, I do think it's going to be brought up. Uh, there's uh, several interested people, um, legislators who want to run the bill. Um, we're still talking to, you know, as a coalition to, to other people as well. And I, mean, I feel good. I feel good about 16, uh, 2016. And now we've had two years since then to, to do some public education and more outreach and to have this discussion in Utah on a broader level. And so, you know, I feel very, uh, very confident that we can get something done in Utah. It does seem like something shifted. I think it was 2015 when we had the whole debate over uh, whether the penalty ought to take the form of the firing squad that was very right. narrowly focused, and now uh, perhaps uh, a bill might be successful repealing the entire death penalty. Here's to hoping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're excited. Um, Marina Lowe, I, I wonder, uh, of this debate in 2016, um, some of the Republican uh, senators, I think it was the senators, it passed out of the Senate and then it ran out of time in the House, um, cited uh, Virginia. They said, uh, let's, rather than um, just throw up our hands, let's fix the system. Let's streamline it. Let's make it faster. Uh, and they cited, they said, Virginia, the average is seven years from, I guess, conviction to execution. And uh, the costs consequently come down. What do you say to that? Well, that's an interesting idea, right? Like, let's just speed things up and make it faster. I, I guess you would have to contend with, on the other side, then, the very real risk of having more and more uh, innocent people on death row. You know, right now, with our extended time period, the reason we have such a long time period between um, you know, somebody's trial and when they're actually put to death is because there are constitutional requirements that, you know, this is the ultimate punishment. So you need to make sure that somebody's due process is respected. Um, you need to make sure that they have proper counsel. Oftentimes, um, you know, states like Utah and other states don't sufficiently fund our public defenders. And so oftentimes people don't have an initial defense that is sufficient. And so there are subsequent appeals that take place both at the state level and at the federal level. So there are real reasons, legal reasons, that it takes so many years uh, before we decide that we're comfortable enough um, with the fact that somebody has committed a crime sufficient for them to be put to death. Now, if you shorten that time period, as they tried in Virginia, um, then you really are running the risk that you're going to have more and more people who haven't had that thorough judicial vetting so that we can feel comfortable that there aren't any mistakes that are happening. Um, you know, my understanding in, in Virginia, though, is that they, they've actually changed their stance and they aren't having that shortened time frame any longer because they were 
were running into some real constitutional problems um, where people weren't getting their their constitutional rights respected. Due process was not being afforded. So I don't think Virginia is necessarily the place that we should look to um, as an example for the way that Utah Utah should change its system. And furthermore, you know, there are there are restrictions and, and limits to how much we can actually shorten our system any longer. There are federal appeals um, for which the Utah legislature cannot make any changes. That's not within their purview to, by statute, make any changes there. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be very difficult for us to, in quotes, fix the system. Um, there are problems that exist in our criminal just, justice system, as both myself and Jen C discussed that cannot be fixed by the Utah legislature, no matter how hard they may try. Um, and shortening the time time period for people to have um, a thorough judicial defense, I think, is steering us in the wrong direction and perhaps um, pushing us closer to having more and more people on death row who are, in fact, innocent. Let me, before we go to break, I want to turn to Jen C. Anderson. Um, I, I wonder, are... Defendants, by and large, getting the defense that they need, uh, especially these capital cases. And I'll preface this with uh, I was talking to a, another proponent of abolishing the death penalty. And I, I think this is I got this right. This uh, I'm only searching for whether I got it right. Uh, who told me this? But I remember this very clearly. <laughs> it was seared into my brain. One defense attorney. This was a capital case. Uh, put a motion, wrote a motion. Uh, for D and A evidence, um, indicating that he did not understand DNA. And that that would concern me if that's my lawyer and I'm on a death penalty case. Oh, yeah, that would be of great concern. I mean, we know that throughout the country that uh, defense attorneys are generally, I mean, particularly those representing indigent defendants, and that really is the majority of defendants, that they are understaffed, they are underpaid, they are carrying huge caseloads, and many of them are not... uh, are not trained um, in complicated uh, cases, particularly those that may involve the death penalty. So we see mistakes in in cases that are certainly defense focused all over the place. Um, from looking at the the uh, cases that involve exonerations, we see that at least twenty five percent of those involve attorneys who did something fundamentally wrong um, that violated their the their the defendant's Sixth Amendment right to have effective counsel in those cases. Um, And so, you know, there certainly are some reforms that would help fixing our our indigent criminal defense system, uh, making sure they're not carrying caseloads, making sure they're paid at equal levels as prosecutors, making sure that they're properly trained and properly funded, particularly when they're doing death penalty cases. But again, we're still still dealing with a system of of humans who make mistakes. So we certainly can't perfect it at that level. And that's only one of the many problems that we see in cases across the country. I mean, we see problems with eyewitness ID. I mean, in 72% of cases, eyewitnesses got it wrong. Um, I mean, it is not a reliable kind of evidence, and yet it's a kind of evidence that judges and juries tend to believe. We see problems with false confessions, as I said, with the most recent death penalty, death row exoneration. We see problems with forensic science. We see problems with police and 
misconduct. We see problems, particularly in death penalty penalty cases, with what we call snitch testimony or incentivized witness and testimony. That is the leading cause of wrongful conviction in the death penalty arena. So, I mean, there are so many problems that our system faces uh, that that to continue to have the death penalty or to believe that there is a simple fix or even a fix that could make the death penalty acceptable is a bit naive. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with our uh, panel. We're talking about the capital punishment, the death penalty, and uh, there is an event tonight in Ogden. You can hear more about this. They'll have the full uh, panel here. We have part of the panel with us. The uh, title of the event, Utah's Death Penalty, A Broken System Beyond Repair. It starts at 7 o'clock in the Wildcat Theater Room 208 in the Shepherd Student Union Building on the campus of Weber State University in Ogden. That's free and open to the public. Utah conservatives concerned about the death penalty will join Young Americans for Liberty chapter at Weber State University, as well as the Catholic Association for Social Action for that panel discussion. And we'll continue this discussion in the next half hour after the break. I want to talk about victims, especially victims' families, of a quote from uh, Logan Senator uh, Lyle Hilliard, who supports the death penalty. Uh, I want to talk, uh, explore more in depth um, Europe and states who abolished the death penalty and uh, and what criminal justice is like uh, there and much more. And we'll look for your participation as well. We're opening the phone lines 800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Want to know what you think. More following this break. Thanks for joining us for Access U Time. Tom Williams, we're talking about the death penalty. A majority of Americans still support the death penalty, 55% the latest Gallup poll, but uh, support continues to decline. For example, in 1994, 80% supported the death penalty. Attitudes may be changing in Utah as well. Last year, a poll released by Utah Justice Coalition showed that 64% of Utahns favored alternatives to the death penalty for people convicted of uh, murder. And support continues to decline among Republicans. And uh, there's a relatively new development, the organization in 2013 of conservatives concerned about the death penalty. Well, tonight, Utah conservatives concerned about the death penalty will join Young Americans for Liberty chapter at Weber State University as well as the Catholic Association for Social Action for a panel discussion titled Utah's Death Penalty, A Broken System Beyond Repair. Uh, that uh, begins at 7 o'clock in the Wildcat Theater, room 208 in the Shepherd Student Union Building on the campus of Weber State University. And uh, there are several members of the panel, and uh, four of those join us today from KCPW Studios in Salt Lake City. Our thanks to the good folks at KCPW. We're talking with Kevin Green, State Director of Utah Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty, Darcy Van Norden, Executive Director of Utah Justice Coalition, Marina Lowe, uh, Legislative and Policy Counsel for ACLU of Utah, and Jensi Anderson, Legal Director of the Rocky Mountain Innocence Project and University of Utah Law Professor. And uh, for our panel, I'll, uh, I'm going to read a quote from Senator Lyle Hilliard, and then I'll just throw this out to the panel. I'll just whoever, uh, whoever self-selects to answer first, uh, just uh, say your name. Uh, so let me read this. And this is from a couple of years ago. I don't know where Senator Hilliard stands today. When this was being, being debated in 2016, here's what Senator Hilliard of Logan, uh, Republican of Logan, said. He says, Taking the death penalty off the table does a great injustice to society, law enforcement, and most particularly victims. He goes on to say, It should be the victim's family's choice, not ours. Maybe it will help them. 
Uh, he goes on to say, the issue you really have to balance is there may be a majority of people who have not had their lives impacted by a murder. The few times I've had a chance to visit with families of people who've been murdered, let me tell you, he says, they have a really strong feeling. I would hope that it's used very, very sparingly and very careful. Uh, but he supported the death penalty. Governor Herbert, I should say, at that point, supported the death penalty as as well. Who wants to respond? Uh, this is Marina Lowe. I'll start out taking a stab and, and let some of my panel members join in if they have other thoughts, too. Um, I guess I would agree with Senator Lyle Hillier that... Uh, Probably people who have experienced murder in their family do have strong feelings on this issue, but I would disagree that they necessarily all share the same strong feelings. We know from talking to murder victim family members that people have lots of different feelings about what they think is an appropriate penalty. Um, There are certainly some folks who do not want to see the death penalty in their cases because they know that it extends the process significantly and that there'll be perhaps decades of legal appeals before they have any um, legal closure in their case, and that oftentimes that means with each new appeal or each new event in their case that there will be media attention and that it's difficult for them to have to relive those experiences over and over again. I do want to also just point out, of course, that you know in our criminal justice system, we don't typically ask victims of crime their opinion about the type of punishment that we impose on the perpetrator of the crime. That's because typically the prosecutor represents the state, and these are considered crimes against the state, and the state is the one that meets out the punishment. We don't turn to victims and ask them, what do you think the appropriate punishment is? And there are lots of important reasons why we don't do that. That's not the way our criminal justice system works. Um, so those are my initial thoughts, um, but but I welcome some other thoughts from the panel. Um, this is this is Jency Anderson. Um, I, I guess I would agree with Marina in that, you know, I think it's um, it's not true to say that all victims want the death penalty. I mean, there are a number of organizations, including one called Victim Murder Victims Families for Reconciliation, who are significantly opposed to the death penalty on a number of bases. First of all, um, you know, Marina talked about legal closure, which I think can be accomplished, but the fact is the emotional closure, the emotional impact of losing a loved one can never be resolved. And so although some murder victims' families have indicated that they believe they will get closure at the time of death penalty, uh, that the death penalty is carried out, I think many will will say that that didn't actually occur for them at that time. Um, There's also this issue of how long it takes. But along with that, what happens is the fame in the case comes for the killer. Um, you don't remember the name, say, of Ted, Ted, Ted Bundy's victims. You remember his story. You remember the interviews with him before he was killed. But you don't remember the names of his victims or what they went through. Um, and so by having the death penalty, you really do offer a platform for these individuals um, who may be sentenced to death. And finally, I think giving victims say in the criminal justice system is a dangerous route to take. I mean, our criminal justice system is already incredibly biased against the poor, um, against people of color, against those who may be uneducated. And to then qualify victims and to allow, say, victims who have a stronger family or more education or uh, more money to have a say in whether the perpetrator of the crime gets the death penalty will 
create more and more disparity in our criminal justice system. Um, and, and I don't think that's something that we want to create in this country. Kevin here, I'll just hop in really quick, just to, to kind of express that these aren't just abstract or hypothetical situations either. Um, we've been working closely with some murder victim family members in Utah um, who, who feel this way, who, whose families have been dragged through this process for decades. Um, and I think it's important for people to realize that they exist and for their voices to be equally um, as heard on this topic as well. Uh, let me uh, quote um, a, a panel member who's going to be there tonight, uh, not with us this morning, uh, Ralph Delapiana, director of Utahns for Alternatives to the Death Penalty. Um, and he says, whether a murderer faces the death penalty often depends solely on a prosecutor's discretion. Uh, quote here from the Salt Lake Tribune, it's like being struck by lightning. It depends on your zip code on what is the possibility a case is going to result in a death penalty. Um, so that I wonder if uh, could have which whoever on the panel wants to uh, talk about that. Absolutely, Darcy here. I think it's important to note that it's not necessarily whether it's the most egregious case or not. It, it really could boil down to whether the prosecutor feels like he wants to go down this road. What people don't realize is that the counties are on the hook for the cost of these these cases, which are so expensive that it could absolutely, a case like this could bankrupt a county. So in essence, a prosecutor could make this decision on whether or not they feel their county could afford to pursue the death penalty. So um, all things are not equal, and it really um, is going to be dependent upon um, what that prosecutor prefers to do in any instance. And it really doesn't have a lot to do with whether or not or how egregious the case is. And I'll just pipe in if that's all right. This is Marina Lowe. Um, you know, wh one of the things that both at the Supreme Court level and then also the states have done to try and move away from this question of prosecutor discretion is to have in statute a list of sort of requirements that must be met before a prosecutor can charge a case as um, an aggravated murder. And we have one of these such aggravated murder statutes. The problem is, however, and, and the idea behind these statutes was that you were supposedly going to narrow the cases down to sort of the worst of the worst. And then, you know, we allow prosecutors to charge those cases at their discretion based on, you know, the, the very worst cases being eligible for the death penalty. The problem is that we have seen over the past number of years, and I'm afraid we're going to see it again this legislative session, is that lawmakers continue to add to our aggravated murder statute. And so we are have arrived at a moment now where, at least in Utah and many other states, there's in fact a case going up to the Supreme Court from Arizona just this term as well on this question, is they have added in so many different aggravated factors that there's virtually no murder that could be convicted uh, committed here in the state of Utah or in other parts of the country that wouldn't qualify you for the death penalty, which of course then invites in more prosecutor discretion and so um, gets us to this point, as, as Ralph mentioned in his quote, where you know, a prosecutor could make uh, the decision to charge a case as a capital one in Salt Lake County and perhaps in Weber County would make a, a very different decision even for the same type of crime. Let me just, uh, uh, kind of a related, sort of on the other side, prosecutors are generally elected, right? And the, the, the theory of the case is that uh, the, the prosecutor, he or she, would uh, respond to the community's wishes, the community's, you know, desire, need for justice. Um, yeah. This is Marina. I'd love to take that 
question again. Um, that's a really interesting point. The ACLU has actually been digging into this topic about prosecutors, both here in Utah and across the country. And what we have discovered is that prosecutors are the elected official that people least know. If you poll most people in the state of Utah and ask them who their DA is, despite the fact that it is an elected office, most people have no clue who that individual is. And so that accountability that comes from the voters being responsive to the actions of their prosecutor, I think really breaks down. Um, you've got somebody in a position making all sorts of important decisions about our criminal justice system, perhaps sort of the most important figure in the criminal justice system, who is supposedly elected and supposedly accountable to the people who have no idea who that individual even is. Let's uh, bring in an email here from Ted in Logan. Uh, by the way, if you just joined us, we're talking about the death penalty in Utah. And there's an event tonight on the Weber State University campus, 7 o'clock, if you'd like to hear a fuller discussion of this. And the full panel, we have, uh, I think, about half the panel here with us today. Um, the panel discussion is titled, Utah's Death Penalty, A Broken System Beyond Repair. 7 o'clock is the start time in the Wildcat Theater, room 208, Shepherd Student Union Building on the campus of Weber State University. Um, and uh, you're welcome to join us here. We have another 15 minutes in this discussion, and our panelists are joining us from the KCPW studios in Salt Lake City. Our thanks to the folks at KCPW. We have with us Kevin Green, State Director of Utah Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty, Darcy Vadden Orden, Executive Director of Utah Justice Coalition, Marina Lowe, Legislative and Policy Counsel for ACLU of Utah, and Jancy Anderson, Legal Director of the Rocky Mountain Innocence Project and University of Utah Law Professor. Here's uh, what uh, Ted and Logan, he's emailed us to upraxis at gmail.com. You can as well. Hope to hear from you, upraxis at gmail.com. Or you could call us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Love to get your position uh, for or against the death penalty and why. Maybe you've had an experience uh, with, uh, with this touching your life. Uh, so here is Ted. Good morning, Tom. Fascinating show. Thanks to you and your guests for exploring this topic. Halden Prison in Norway is known as the most humane prison in the world. Much of this is due to the focus on the humanity and the dignity of the individual, regardless of crime. This has brought significant benefits through truly rehabilitated and healed individuals who go on to contribute to society. From a utilitarian point of view, this certainly seems to benefit society. I would love to hear your panel discuss if there is a systemic nature of degradation of criminals throughout the criminal justice system, as opposed to a focus on rehabilitation. If so, would a shift to a Halden prison model help make abolishment of the death penalty more palatable by humanizing convicts? Thanks, says Ted in Logan. So uh, just have uh, panelists uh, jump in. Just say your name. This is Darcy. I would certainly rather be in the company of countries like Norway and Sweden, as opposed to the United States right now is literally one of the last industrialized nations who still has the death penalty. Uh, so we, we are rubbing shoulders currently with uh, the likes of Saudi Arabia, North Korea, uh, China, and Iran. So I don't find us in the best company when it comes to civil liberties, and I think uh, America could certainly do better, and I definitely would be prefer to fall in the footsteps of, of countries like Norway and Sweden in that area. This is Marina. I'll just add in on the, on the point of sort of focusing on rehabilitation um, as opposed to 
um, simply just incarcerating people without considering the consequences. I think that Utah has already sort of begun down that path. There's been a, a recognition in Utah and across the nation that, that we do need to be, as Darcy put it, smarter on crime rather than just tough on crime. And so to that um, point, the Utah legislature passed a couple of years ago a first step, a criminal justice reform bill um, that did really want to focus on figuring out ways to get people treatment and help rather than just keeping them in jail for longer and longer periods of time. I think that you know, repealing the death penalty is an important step in this entire process. And I hope that those first indications that Utah is interested in getting smarter on crime will bleed over into the death penalty as well. Kevin here, uh, just to jump in on that. And I absolutely agree. And also, you know, the the first steps Utah and the nation in general are taking are a great first step. But it's also I think an, an education campaign in several years and I mean, maybe decades of people kind of learning that this is the proper way and this is more effective and this saves money because right now I think a lot of our criminal justice system with from public perception is completely emotional based and so you know people believe this person deserves to be punished this person you know I don't know how many times we hear you know you know put a bullet in their head immediately why are we feeding them three meals a day and living the life of luxury in prison and I'm not sure who thinks honestly that prison is a luxurious life but it, it's going to take people Stepping away from that and realizing that, you know, nonviolent people probably don't belong in cages. Rehabilitation over incarceration is going to greatly reduce recidivism rates. And so these are the type of things, you know, all of us on this panel and, you know, the, the great group of people we work with are constantly focusing on to kind of rein this in over the next few years as well. I want to just follow up and anybody jump in here. I'm, I know this opinion exists. I've talked to some people who, you know, would would hold up Norway, for example, um, you know, it, it's it's too soft. It's it's not punishment. Part of this is punishment, people say. Well, I think for now, our whole focus is the new, the actual alternative to death row is certainly life without parole. I don't think anybody here is suggesting that we're going to let people out who've committed these heinous of crimes. But my point is, your average person sitting on death row in Utah 23 years, people are more likely to die in prison than be executed. So it's actually doesn't do anybody any good um, to go through all this costly process. In the meantime, making people on death row rock stars and in essence ignoring um, and putting you know the victim's families through years and years and years when in fact you could just turn to life without parole, there would be one appeal and it in essence be a one and done and and it's like you throw away the key and people could move on with their lives, I believe, and start to heal. And instead, uh, we're just making these people very popular. And like I said, you couldn't, I, nobody, I don't think, very rarely could you find somebody to, to name one of Ted Bundy's victims. So my point is, life without parole is the better and best alternative to the death penalty. But I think if you, this is Jancy Anderson, I think if you look at the statistics with regards to, you know, Norway and us, if that's, you know, who we're holding out as sort of the best example, you see that their crime rates are significantly lower than our crime rates, that their recidivism rates are significantly lower, um, that um, their murder rate is much lower, um, that really across the board to have 
if you will, a kinder and general, gentler system, one that focuses on rehabilitation, one that focuses on the individual rather than on the crime, one that uh, really looks at the fact that most of these individuals are going to be going back into society and giving them the tools to do that in a productive way, that that really has shown success. And that if that's viewed as soft on crime, then, you know, I'm all for it if that's the result that you get from it. Um, that said, um, as Kevin said, for those who create, you know, for those who commit the most heinous crime, I don't think any of us are saying, you know, let's let them go free. Um, I think we're saying that the death penalty doesn't work, that there are mistakes that can be made that are irreversible, and that the better punishment um, at least as our system now stands, is life in prison without the possibility of parole, and that we can accomplish exactly the same thing as we would with the, with the death penalty without the risk of, of the real risk of the execution of the innocent. I want to follow up on uh, Ted Bundy. He's, an exa- he's, he's been put forward as an example, and certainly I, you know, I, I'm, I was very aware when he was um, in prison um, he seemed to be very good about and clever about uh, getting to the press, and the press was interested in him, and he had that rock star uh, factor. I don't know if the rules have been tightened up so that if, if a Ted Bundy were in prison life without parole, that uh, that he wouldn't be able to get in the press a lot. And, and you know, further, I guess this, this would probably aggravate the, the victims' families. Oh, definitely. The media is obsessed with with what is the most unusual, what is the most heinous, what is the most gruesome. So there's no question in my mind that we will continue to make people rock stars if we have the death penalty available in the United States. Uh, what about life without parole? Would that uh, would you know would would attend Bundy's sitting there years and years still have access to the to to the press? I guess another example would be um, um, Charles Manson. No, I think that I think their case would lack luster because every time they're coming up for parole, it's this exciting opportunity where suddenly, you know, they come in the media purview. Whereas life without parole, everybody's just like, oh, the person is going to they're going to die in prison. And they just kind of people just forget about them. And to the point of, of Charles Manson, I mean, he was originally a death penalty case. And then that was commuted to life without parole when California you know, did away with their death penalty and then brought it. That's not. Oh, the, oh, sorry. Yeah, they brought it back. And then. It was not eligible to be recommuted from life without parole. And so, I mean, he gained his rock star status in the same way, in the same process, from the same media that's still obsessed with all of this stuff today. Well, let me ask you about, we, we've, we've been talking about Norway. You know, and uh, like a lot of nations in Europe have a, a long time abolished the death penalty, I believe, right? And there's, there are some states in the United States, and we, we referenced this earlier. I wonder if uh, somebody could take this... Uh, and talk about there, we therefore have some data, right, on on crime, on recidivism, on uh, uh, states with death penalty versus states with not, uh, U.S. versus Europe. Um, I uh, this is Kevin. I actually recently wrote an op-ed kind of comparing death penalty states to non-death penalty states, um, and the the information is, I mean, it's extremely enlightening, and I think people they it's not something they're ever going to realize. When you take the 19, I believe, non-death penalty states and you, you average out their homicide rates, they're actually several percentage points lower than the average homicide rate from the 31 states with the death penalty. And more interestingly, because people believe you know, the death penalty is a deterrent, when you take the top 10 states who have executed the most people since 1976 when the death penalty was reinstated, 
uh, in this country, it's actually seven or eight percent higher across their average than the national average in the same amount of time. And so I think it's very fair to assume there are there are other things that determine homicide rates and and all of that in every other state. Um, and the death penalty or lack thereof is not one of them. And I believe that the death penalty commits to a culture um uh, violence, in essence, I mean, if you look to people um, within the criminal justice system who've assisted in the process of executing people, they they will they found later these people often have deep psychological problems as a result of helping to carry out this system. And I would just argue um, this is a revenge killing. In essence, we say, in one hand, uh, murder is wrong. And then we're going to turn around and put somebody to death. And I would just argue that if we want different results, I think we have to come at things uh, from a different approach. And I think looking to the states, the 19 that have repealed the death penalty, uh, there's less violence in their society. And I would argue uh, that we would see less violence if we removed and repealed the death penalty. Mm. And in fact, I I learned this just a, a while ago. I think this is true. You can correct me if I'm wrong, that on the um, on the death certificate, Someone who's been executed, it's it's homicide? To my knowledge, that is, this is Jen C. Anderson. To my knowledge, that's correct. If you, I, I think it is at least correct in Utah. At the end of the year, they usually uh, do a report on all of the deaths that have occurred in the state of Utah, all of the homicides. Um, and if we've had a death penalty execution during that time, that's almost, that's always included on that list of mm-hmm. homicides. There's a lot of emotion on these. We're, we're coming down to the end of our time, but I want to treat this. Um, a lot of emotion, pro, pro and, and con. One example on, on the one side, I have a friend from uh, who, who grew up in Europe and uh, now living in Utah. In 2010, had occasion to hear his, his uh, views on the execution of uh, Ronnie Lee Gardner. I think it was 2010. Yes. Uh, he, was, he was viscerally affected he he uh you know sick to his stomach how can you how can you be so barbaric you know we, we're not that barbaric in europe that kind of thing i'm sure on the other side if you're a family member of a victim of uh, some of those family members have an equally strong reaction on the other side yeah i think that's true this is marina Lowe. i just you know i i would like to offer up that I think we do indeed here in the United States also and here in Utah still have some discomfort with this type of penalty. And the way that we see that is, you know, we've brought back the firing squad here in Utah. Not every one of the individuals involved in that execution has a bullet um, that is actually fired. We they, they make use of blanks as well. And to me, that indicates that there still is great discomfort knowing that we're taking somebody's life and we're trying to sort of shield the individuals who are involved in those ex- executions from having to carry that discomfort. If we feel that uncomfortable with the idea that we're taking somebody's life as a penalty, maybe we shouldn't have this punishment at all. Let me um, let me get this email in. It's a very interesting experience here. This is from Terry and Logan. There are many people affected by these crimes, says Terry. I was called to jury duty about 13 years ago to decide the death penalty in a murder trial. We were not given the choice to serve on this jury or not. It was our responsibility. The law was very specific. So given the evidence, we were there to decide if this person should receive life in prison or the death penalty. I had no idea how I would respond to this responsibility because I had never served on a jury before and wanted to keep an open mind to give this person a fair trial. Aside from the brutal crimes, the one thing that bothered me the most was that the 
the prisoner was still able to contact the victim's families. He sent drawings of the brutal murders and graphically depicted the crimes he had committed. He enjoyed the experience and would have definitely committed the same crime if given the opportunity. The experience of serving on this jury was devastating to me. It took years to get over the evidence that was admitted and being placed in position to make this decision. These crimes are brutal, and the person committing the crime was beyond help. That's Terry in Logan. We just have about a minute left. Does somebody want to respond to this? I think Terry's story is is illustrative in one really important way, in that this is a devastating punishment. It devastates uh the jurors who have to meet it out, the judges who have to sign the death warrant, the guards who have to actually walk the person to the death chamber, the people who give the medication or shoot the gun that kills the individual, the, and and can have an incredible impact on those who witness the crime, the the death penalty, um, and doesn't solve any of the problems for the victim. Um, certainly, in a case like ter- the one Terry speaks about there are ways to limit that contact between the individual if they are acting in a heinous way and the victim's family. But to take their life um, solves no one's problem, um, but rather makes us as brutal um, as they were in the first place. And we'll have to uh, close our discussion uh, today. We're out of time. But uh, if you're interested in this topic and you're going to be able to be in the Ogden area, you can uh, you can hear this discussion uh um, more on this discussion. There's a panel discussion, Utah's Death Penalty, A Broken System Beyond Repair, 7 o'clock is the start time at Weber State University in the Wildcat Theater, room 208 in the Shepherd Student Union Building on the campus of Weber State tonight in Ogden. And uh, several members of that panel have joined us today from the studios of KCPW in Salt Lake City. Kevin Green, State Director of Utah Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. Darcy Van Orden, Executive Director of Utah Justice Coalition. Marina Lowe, Legislative and Policy Counsel for ACLU of Utah. And Jen C. Anderson, Legal Director of Rocky Mountain Innocence Project and University of Utah Law Professor. Thanks to you all. Thanks Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening to Access Utah.